Imagine a scenario where you're in the mood for a true crime podcast. You take out your headphones and press play on the first recommendation. You're excited to delve into an eerie and chilling case. Is someone missing? Is there a conspiracy about to be uncovered? As you listen to the beginning, you're met with a startling surprise. The podcast sucks. And now imagine that you're listening to a different podcast, one that exceeds your expectations. The storytelling is well done. The details are thoroughly researched. The music is chilling and unsettling. And then there's the best part. You get to listen to my deep and creepy voice. When you listen to Still Unsolved, you get to join us as we bring the true crime genre back to its roots. Every week, we highlight different cases of missing persons, wanted felons, unsolved murders, and the truly bizarre occurrences of life. Subscribe to Still Unsolved wherever you like to listen to your podcasts and join us. With your help, some of these cases may no longer be an unsolved mystery. You're listening to True Crime Feed. Welcome to True Crime Feed. I'm your host, Angela Ferrari, reviewing the best true crime podcasts from the past decade, plus my top three true crime picks of the week. First on the docket, here's a show from the archives I think you will really enjoy. This week, we have a single episode from the podcast Swindled. Let's discuss the case for The Mogul, the story of Lou Pearlman. Here's a synopsis. Lou Pearlman was an aviation enthusiast and the person many credit with revolutionizing the 90s boy band craze. He managed acts like NSYNC, Backstreet Boys, and many more. In 2006, he was accused of running one of the largest and longest-running Ponzi schemes in United States history. We're talking the man, the myth, the guy filled with enough hot air to power a Zeppelin, Lou Pearlman. But before you listen to the series, go to thetruecrimefeed.com and sign up for my newsletter where I curate visual aids to accompany the show. The visuals on this one are out of control this week. It's like a 90s nostalgia convention. Now let's jump into the mogul from Swindled. If you haven't been living under a true crime rock, you've probably heard of the Swindled podcast hosted by the very mysterious person who goes by the moniker, a concerned citizen. I feel like this guy brings some of the biggest true crime stories to the forefront before other properties start covering it. I first heard about Anna Dalvey on his show well before the famous scripted series came out on Netflix. So basic. And Swindled covers so many more mind-blowing stories. The coverage of the Lou Pearlman story is one of my all-time favorites. It was a jumping-off point that inspired me to go down a further rabbit hole. I mean, there's no such thing as knowing too much about 90s boy bands, right? I want to make sure you still tune in to the swindled coverage of this story. There's going to be a little bit of overlap, but I'm going to give you some deets that you won't hear on the Mogul episode of Swindled. All right, time to learn about our boy Lou Pearlman. 
He was raised in Queens in the late 1950s, and Lou was the only child of Jewish parents. Boy, does he give only children a bad rap. He is super spoiled by his mother, who indulges his every wish. And from a young age, he develops a grandiose sense of himself. Lou doesn't have many friends, and the few he does have never know when he's telling the truth or a big ol' whopper. Lou later goes on to claim in many interviews that he was a business prodigy right from his childhood. Lou asserts that he bought several paper routes around his neighborhood and then hired other kids to do all of the work for him while he sat back and enjoyed the spoils. Okay. Then Lou further boasts that he brokered a deal with Dunkin' Donuts and started having his newsy crew deliver brunch and coffee along with a morning paper to his clients. Wow, what a remarkable, special, important, little ingenious boy. Lou's childhood friends deny all of this. Hashtag fake newsies. Little boy Lou also tells his friends to come to his bar mitzvah because global singing sensation and internationally famous Art Garfunkel is going to be there. Guess what? Art Garfunkel actually did attend and perform at Lou Pearlman's bar mitzvah because they were cousins. This connection gave Lou loads of credibility. He would use this name drop to gain entry into many future schemes. Let's start with scheme one. We will call this Operation Flip That Blimp. Growing up across from the Flushing Airport fostered Lou's love for all things aviation. He especially enjoyed watching the blimps take off and land. Lou can't wait to get his hands on a blimp of his very own. He starts a company called Airship Enterprises Limited. Cool. Ready for takeoff. But Airship Enterprises is still missing something. Hmm. Oh, right. An airship. So, in 1980, he leases a blimp to a new fashion startup based out of Israel who are launching their brand, Jordash Jeans, in the United States. They want to see their luxury brand name bedazzled on the side of a gold blimp as it hovers over their premier party being held at the Statue of Liberty Park. You know those high-quality advertising blimps you've seen like Goodyear or the MetLife blimp? Yeah, Lou didn't get one of those. Instead, he leased an old logging blimp. I did some research into logging blimps. They were essentially used like air cranes in the 1980s, but they barely passed the proof of concept phase and were never put into commercial production. So I guess you could say logging blimps never really took off. I'm sure your boy Lou got a heck of a deal on this thing. Estimates are that this secondhand blimp set Lou back around 10 grand, but he insured it for $2.5 million. Then comes the day of the big event. It's October 8th, 1980. Picture supermodels adorned with puff shoulder blouses, cinched with wide banded belts, and dudes sporting popped collars and Ray-Ban shades. Of course, everyone is wearing their high-waisted, butt-hugging Jordash jeans. Très chic. And what's up there in the sky? It's a bird. It's a plane. It's a big flying turd. 
Yes, instead of a shining gold pristine blimp, the sparkling emblem of Jordash excellence, the crowd sees a poop brown deflating body of gas balloon crashing towards them. The Jordash dookie blimp barrels into the Hudson nose first. Okay, it didn't exactly happen this way. That's my Hollywood screenplay version. The blimp actually crashed the day before in Lakehurst, New Jersey, shortly after takeoff. I tracked down the archive local New Jersey news coverage of this incident, and it looks straight out of the movie Anchorman. There is a link to watch in my visual aids this week. There's one guy in particular, a lieutenant from the airport, that gives some enthralling color commentary about this limp blimp. You gotta see this guy. Ron Burgundy wishes. So in addition to all the local coverage, the Jordash blimp crash makes national headlines and Lou gets a big payday. He invests in more flying machines and eventually starts chartering flights for the rich and famous. One day, a group of young, rowdy teen boppers hop into his private jet. Who are these hooligans, Lou wonders? And how the heck can they afford a private jet? And that's how Lou Pearlman was introduced to the new kids on the block and the whole boy band biz. Fast forward to 1993, Orlando, Florida. Lou starts a new company called Transcontinental Records and goes on the hunt searching for the world's most precious resource, boy band talent. That's right, good-looking juniors that can sing, dance, and fit their manufactured personas. There is a very specific formula. Every boy band needed the heartthrob, the shy one, the cool older brother protective type, and my personal favorite, the bad boy, who usually wears tinted glasses, dark pleather, and has a starter goatee. Oh yeah, and there's usually one more, like, the forgettable one. You know, that spare guy who probably does a majority of the vocals. Ooh, come on now. Lou's hunt for teen talent is quite prosperous. He brings in Nick, Brian, Kevin, AJ, and, uh, forget the last guy. Oh yeah, Howie! Hey. Together, these dreamboats form the Backstreet Boys. Heard of them? You may know them from becoming the best-selling boy band of all time, with record sales of $130 million hitting gold, platinum, and diamond in 45 countries. But what you may not know is that on paper, Lou Pearlman was technically the sixth member of the group, and therefore entitled to one-sixth of all the spoils, And that's after expenses, like travel, hotels, lavish pasta dinners, and pool parties, of course. Larger Than Life Lou is only getting started. He then goes on to sign Justin, JC, Lance, Joey, and who's that last fellow again? Oh yeah, Chris, the talented one. They go on to form the band NSYNC. Heard of them? They weren't as popular right out of the gate like the Backstreet Boys, But while BSB member Brian Luttrell couldn't record a concert for the Disney Channel because of a lame excuse like heart surgery, NSYNC stepped into their dance shoes and took their place on stage. That's when I first remember these guys tearing up my heart. Guess what? Lou was also the sixth member of NSYNC too. 
Although he wasn't participating in the grueling 12-hour rehearsals in a non-air-conditioned industrial warehouse in central Florida in the summer like they did. In fact, the fellows from the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC started to notice their piggy banks were feeling a little light. At the time, they were the top two touring acts in the world. They were working around the clock, rehearsing, promoting, and performing. Yet, they could have all made more money working at Starbucks. Both InSync and the Backstreet Boys in separate lawsuits sue Lou Pearlman to get out of their limp-blimp contracts. I saw one of the claims from Brian Luttrell was that members of the Backstreet Boys earned a combined total of $300,000 while Lou took in over $10 million. The odds were stacked against them in court. Lou countersues the teen idols for $150 million for breaching their agreements. The judge looked at the boys. Hey, I know you. My tween daughter has her poster in your room. Then the judge looked at Lou. And you're claiming to be the sixth member of this group? Hmm, here's my expert ruling. Bye, bye, bye. Again, that's not exactly how it happened. There was a technicality that Transcontinental Records label should have been formed in the U.S. when it was actually formed in Germany. Sorry, wrong continental. The boy bands respectively settle out of court for an undisclosed amount and are freed from their contracts and their sixth member, Lou Pearlman. And my Hollywood screenplay, Lou scoffs at them outside of the courthouse. You'll never amount to anything without me. <laughs> Cut two. The Backstreet Boys recording their album Millennium with hits like I Want It That Way, Larger Than Life, and of course, Show Me the Meaning of Being Lonely. NSYNC goes on to record the iconic revenge album No Strings Attached. Very clever. With songs like Bye Bye Bye, This I Promise You, and It's Gonna Be Me. And that's how these boy bands grew into man bands. As for Lou, I wish he had crashed and burned like the Jordash turd blimp, but instead, Transcontinental Records went on to sign O-Town. You might remember them from being the subjects of the MTV reality show Making the Band. Ashley Parker Angel, call me. He also went on to sign the band LFO. You know, the guys that sang that dumb song about Abercrombie and Fitch. Ugh, I feel like I can smell the body spray coming through the stereo when that song comes on. There's a reason the word cologne rhymes with alone. Hey. But dad jokes aside, several of the teens Perlman managed later alleged sexual abuse and overall sleazy behavior. There were allegations like hidden cameras around shared living quarters, boys encouraged to take their shirts off so Luke could inspect their abs, And the late Rich Cronin, former LFO band member, went on Howard Stern and alleged that Perlman wanted to, quote, bang everyone and had tried to seduce him several times and asked him flat out to touch his little Richard. Ugh, insert Ralphing noise. Oh, look, even more disgusting behavior. Lou goes on to start an internet-based talent company. It goes by a bunch of names and iterations over the years, but eventually it's taken down in a lawsuit where a judge claimed this was the worst example of a photo mill scam he had ever seen. Lou was essentially requiring prospective teen models to pay large sums for professional, quote, headshots from his in-house photographers. 
then not giving them any work. Lou is such a sleaze that he makes TikTok and Instagram look like an empowering place for talented teens to grow a fan base. And Lou has one final turd meatball scam left to drop. Okay, rewind back to 1986. This is when Lou started the longest running Ponzi scheme in American history. Gotta give it to him. This guy is worse than canned olives on a pizza, but he does hold an impressive amount of national records. Over 20 years, he defrauded investors out of more than $1 billion, mostly old people. He had them invest in his various companies like Transcontinental Airlines and Transcon Records. Okay, one of my favorite ridiculous details, Lou put together a model toy commercial jet, he slapped a Transcon sticker on the side, then he skipped to his Lou down to LaGuardia Airport and held up the toy jet by the tippy tip of the tail. Lou snaps photos of the plane taking off and landing. And these photos are used to encourage people to invest in his fleet of non-existent jets. I tracked down these photos for the visual aids this week, and the forced perspective effect is quite convincing. I'd probably invest my paper route money into Transcon, especially if it meant the possibility of crossing paths with J.C. Chazé. Hey! Hey! Old Limp Blimp Perlman used his boy band clout and fake jet shots to defraud people out of their life savings. Victims claimed they thought they were putting their funds into an FDIC-backed investment savings account, but Lou was faking the financial statements the entire time. He gets indicted, then flees the country. There are Lou Perlman sightings around the globe. The FBI goes on an international manhunt. Then they get a tip. Lou was eating, praying, and loving his way through Bali, and an American tourist recognized Lou at a cafe and snaps a photo. He sends it to Interpol. In that same photo, two agents from the FBI are sitting in the next booth over. I'm not even making this up for my Hollywood screenplay. This actually happened. He is taken into custody, and in 2008, old Ponzi Poo Lou Perlman is sentenced to 25 years. In 2016, he died in custody of heart failure. $300 million of Lou's money is still unaccounted for. Ooh, treasure hunt! Okay, I have a new idea for a Hollywood script. It's that Britney Spears road trip movie Crossroads meets the Goonies, plus boy bands and like Josie and the Pussycats. Okay, I got it, I got it. A boy band and a rival girl group blimp battle it out, searching for Lou Pearlman's lost treasure. Ding, ding, ding. I think we got ourselves a hit, y'all. For further details into the wild world of Lou Pearlman, check out the episode titled The Mogul from the Swindled Podcast. Also, there's a fabulous documentary produced by Lance Bass called The Boy Band Con, colon, The Lou Pearlman Story. I believe you can still watch this one for free on YouTube. And as always, get in touch with me to share your thoughts about today's episode and reminisce about the gift to the world that was late 90s boy bands. Email me directly at Angela at thetruecrimefeed.com where all emails are read, not all can be replied to. Or join the True Crime Feed Facebook discussion group. 
Keep an open mind and be kind to fellow true crime feed friends. Stay tuned till after the break to hear my top three podcast power ranking of the week. Hey, True Crime Feed listeners, I have a teensy little ask of you. I need your help to grow my audience so I can keep the stories coming. So I'm asking you to take a moment and share True Crime Feed with five friends you think will enjoy the show. Like a fun, awesome pyramid scheme, but you still get to hang on to your money. Cool. And if you want extra gold stars, go to Apple Podcasts and write a review for True Crime Feed. I am an independent one woman show, and you taking a moment to do this will help me grow and compete with the big networks out there. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Now back to the show. And we're back. Here are three shows currently trending on the charts that I think you will really enjoy. I present to you this week's podcast power ranking. At the number three spot, we have Death Island. White sand beaches, untouched jungles, cloudless skies. People come to Thailand to get away from it all. But this seemingly idyllic paradise of Khao Tao, once known as Turtle Island, has turned from beauty to horror as a string of brutal murders and unexplained disappearances have rocked the community. Government cover-ups, corrupt police, bungled investigations, silenced natives, and cults. Now locals and tourists have come to know this place as Death Island. Okay, the multiple host format throws me off a little with the show, and there is a lot of repetition, but in spite of all that, the story is so alluring to me. And whoo, this show will definitely have you rethinking your solo, eat, pray, love, travel, vacation plans. I am living for Death Island. At the number two spot, we have Bad Seeds. The biggest black market you've never heard of, and it's blooming right under your nose. Whether it's a 4,000-pound cactus shoveled from the Arizona desert or delicate orchids pinched from the tangled jungle of Peru, rare plants are at the center of a rapidly growing and lucrative world of crime. Hosted by plant expert Summer Rain Oaks, Bad Seeds plunges straight into it featuring the buyers, the sellers, the obsessives, and those who came face-to-face with criminals behind an underworld few know exist. Yes, I love weird, obscure, black market smuggling stories. I have an episode about this phenomenon coming up too. Plus, bonus, the cover art for this show is gorgeous. Well done, podcast art department. Bad Seeds is a good pod. And now at the number one spot, we have Silenced Season 2, The Radio Murders. A chilling wave of murder sweeps through Little Haiti, a Miami neighborhood that is home to many Haitian exiles. The victims are radio broadcasters using the airways to demand democracy at home. Little Haiti is up in arms, calling for justice for the fallen heroes. But the investigation stalls. To this day, the masterminds remain free and rumors persist about cocaine trafficking, CIA assets, and transnational coups. 
Again, this is the second season of the show Silence. Their first season was about the missing and murdered women of Juarez, which was one of the heaviest yet important true crime series I'd ever heard. I'm on the first episode of season two of Silenced and already this is my number one because not only is it a mini audio vacation to Miami, it's lighter in tone than season one, but it still has that same impact, exposing me to a world I haven't dived this deep into before, the continuing struggle of Haiti and its people. Even when you think you've escaped corruption and start to feel safe enough to speak out, that evil hand can still track you down and silence you. This show has so many elements that make it an intriguing listen. I am hoping that Silence the Radio Murders continues to captivate. Now for my miss of the week. We have the deck. For years, some law enforcement agencies have replaced the faces of traditional playing card decks with images of missing and murdered people and distributed those cards in prisons, hoping inmates would come forward with information needed to crack these cold cases wide open. Now the Podcast Network Audio Check is dealing you in. They work with investigators and family members to bring you the details of some of the coldest cases from around the country in hopes that someone listening can bring these victims the justice they deserve. I know, I know, don't at me. I feel like on paper, this show was genetically engineered in a lab for me to love. I keep giving it multiple chances, but it's just not hitting for me. And after giving it one last chance, I folded on the deck and sent this show down my podcast queue trapdoor. Find out next week if Silence, the Radio Murders, will remain in the number one spot or if a new true crime pod will swoop in and take its place. Let me know what trending shows are in your top three and what show fell through your podcast queue trapdoor. I will also be here dusting off another superb true crime show from the archive for your next feeding fix. That's all for today's true crime feed. Don't forget to sign up for my weekly newsletter where I post links to my top three favorite shows of the week and bring you fabulous visual aids for every episode. If you have signed up for the mailing list but aren't seeing the newsletter, check your spam folder and update your mail settings. Be sure to follow the show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to join the conversation. Especially Instagram because I am making original memes for every episode. It's my only way to exact revenge on Lou Perlman. If you are enjoying this show, please leave a review and tell your fellow partners in crime to tune in to True Crime Feed. Thanks for riding along and allowing me to be your audio accomplice. Join me here next week for another feeding.